wisdom begins first with pondering we need to do a careful evaluation of things we need to think about things I think one of the biggest problems we have in 21st century America is that we have so much information that we're better at regurgitating information than pondering it thinking about it it's so easy you hear something and you throw it out there you read a book and you, that's your new thing you have to let things sit for a while Picture being dropped into a country that you've never been to with no knowledge of the language and having no guides. It would be a panicked struggle. Life can feel that way. As we'll hear Pastor Daniel explain, that's why we need a map. God's wisdom is available to us if we ponder and seek it. The Father can take all of our messy understanding and put it into order. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 9 with his continuing study entitled, The Conclusion of the Matter. If you're here today and you're in your golden years, as they say, listen, you're still young. Methuselah lived to almost a thousand, so you're doing great. I mean, don't miss the fact that Abraham and Sarah, they were having kids when Abraham was triple digits. And this was long before Viagra. <laughs> Can you imagine having a, new, like, a newborn when you're 100? Can you imagine Sarah being like, Abram, you got to get up and change the baby's diaper. What? Don't you know I'm 100? You know? So listen, all of you are young. That's what I'm saying. You're all young. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. You know they say 60 is the new 40? Pastor Bill says 60 is the new 60. Because 40 of 40 years ago is not 40 of today. 60 is the new 60. So you're all young. So what's the exhortation? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Think about that. He's speaking about God as the creator. Why is this important? Because whoever created you is responsible for you and you are responsible to them. Do you realize that? That's why the very first commandment about interpersonal relationships in the Ten Commandments is that you should honor your father and mother. Why? Because the people who created you, you are responsible to and they are responsible for you. And we have to realize that as human families, as messed up as they are, that our creator is the almighty, personal, true and living God. And you need to remember your creator because you are responsible to that creator. And that creator is responsible for you. And that is why you have air to breathe, your heart beats, all the most important knobs God has kept on his side of the wall. Because he knows that we're a little bit dense, right? I'd forget to... I wouldn't forget to eat. I would forget to keep my heart beating, though. It's like, beat, beat. Imagine you had to, like, press a button, keep you going. It'd be bad, right? It'd be really bad. You have to remember your Creator. We live our lives 
before him who created and sustains us. You'll end up with a trivial life if you forget your creator. You start living a self-styled life when you say, my life is my own. Who am I responsible to? I was told by a, a rabbi friend of mine that in synagogues, over the altar, there's a sign in Hebrew that says, remember before whom you stand. And I always thought to myself, man, I ain't that a good way to live. Remember before whom you stand. Remember your creator. And then it, we have this long poem, and I'll explain to you real quick some of the different pictures that are here. Most people would say that it's about aging. You have to remember when you're young because you're going to get older. Now, one of the things as a younger person talking about aging, I don't really know a lot about it, although I do have some grays popping out in my beard here and there. So I'm just going to tell you what it's saying and as I like to say, that narrative is not normative, which means the news just tells you what's happening. It doesn't actually say that it's the right or the wrong way to characterize it. Because I know that in sharing about aging from this, real quick, some of, those, some of you folks who are a little older say, Pastor Dan, you should not be saying those things. This is God's word. I'm just going to tell you what it says. I'm not saying I agree with it all, but it is God's word. So we're just going to trust that God knows how this rolls. Notice what it says. The keepers of the house tremble, speaks of your arms and your hands that keep your body, begin to tremble a little bit. The strong men bow down, the legs and the knees began to sag a little bit. The grinders cease because they are few, teeth are lost and chewing is more difficult. The windows grow dim, speaking of the going of the eyesight. The sound of grinding is low, speaks about the diminishing of hearing, become weaker and weaker. One rises up because of the sound of the bird, that sleep becomes more difficult and is more, you could be more easily awakened. The daughters of music are brought low, singing and music can be less appreciated. Afraid of height and the terrors of the way, one becomes more fearful over time. The almond tree blossoms. Almond tree blossoms are white, of course, so it speaks of the graying or the whitening of the hair. The grasshopper is a burden. Once more active, you become less active over time. And the passions and desire fail speaks about passions and desires for life have a tendency to weaken and wane. So for those of you who take it as the idea is that you need to remember your creator when you can because there comes a time when things get harder. Now, I talk a lot about my grandparents. My grandfather is 90. My grandmother is 87. They've been married for 67 years. And my grandfather now, I mean, he's legally blind. He's, there's a lot of health issues going on. My grandmother, has, uh, she has her yearly bronchitis because she has a respiratory condition. And every time I call my grandmother this week and she was coughing, you can pray for her. My little Italian grandma. But you know, they always say, you know, Danny, no one said getting older was easy, but I'll take as many days as I can get. And it's a great perspective to be reminded of. Getting older isn't easy. My grandfather always complains about my grandma's driving. I love that. He can't see. But like, but like a typical guy, you know, he's like, him not being able to see and driving is better than his wife driving him, you know what I mean? 
But, and, and like, but God bless them, but it's like they're experiencing the effects of, of, of aging, you know? And so it's an important reminder for us to remember our Creator while we can. You know, notice what it says in verse 7. It says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, you guys know this, that in the book of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, we are, we are told that we are created of the dusts of the earth. Scientists will tell us that almost all of your body is just the normal elements that created everything. Why? Because you and I are earthly. That's what it means to be created of the dust of the earth. The same composite elements that create our body are actually in the dirt as well. Because we are earthly creatures. That's what we are. And it says that when death happens... Our bodies return to the earth and our spirit will return to God who gave it. That's important because this life is not all there is. And there will come a day sooner or later when our bodies return to the earth. And again, we know that the resurrection of the body is going to happen, but your body's still going to return to the earth until the resurrection of the body happens when Jesus comes back. So, that part of you that is earthbound stays there and that part of you that is eternal goes to God until there is that great reunion of body and spirit at the second coming of Jesus. Now, but what happens is because we are created earthly creatures and God breathed the breath of life into us, we have the tendency to want to be earthbound. That is why science who... Not all scientists, but by and large, science wants to tell you that you're just earthly. And that's why they classify humans as what? Animals. It makes total sense. Given the fact that they want to pretend that there's no God, which it's a horrible bit of science to pretend that there's no God. That's a whole other discussion. I'll leave that off. And I don't really believe that there's a science against religion thing. I think science needs to remember its job is to try and figure out what God did and how God did it. That's its job. So, but it wants to be kind of a co-reigner on the things eternal, which is just bad science. It's bad science. But science's job is to explain to humans what God has done. And it's pretty amazing what God has done and how God has done it. But it makes total sense, given a worldview that pretends that this life is all there is, to call you and I animals because we're completely earthly. But you have to realize you are an eternal soul. That your life is eternal. Everybody has an eternal life. It's just a matter of how, where, and why. So because your body goes back to the earth and your soul goes to God who gave it, we have to make sure that we take care of the things of the soul and the spirit. And the Bible tells us that that comes by believing in Jesus. That is the most important decision for your life. Right there. What have you done with Jesus? Now, I know some of you are saying, listen, I, I knew we were going to get here. Everything up to here makes total sense, but now you just pulled a pastor move right there. It has to be Jesus. Why does it have to be Jesus? And I'm here to tell you that if you study every single world religion and every single philosophy for life, you will ultimately come that Jesus is the only one who says, you need to believe in me. It has to be me. It comes through me. Because of me. Why? Because Jesus did the earthbound existence perfectly 
in our place. And because he did it perfectly, he is the fitting sacrifice for all the things that we have done wrong. And because of his perfect life, he is the only candidate to stand in our place to take the punishment for our mistakes. He's the only one who can do it. Buddha lived a life of lavishness before he decided he was going to go and find out how to reach eternal life. Muhammad, we didn't need to go there because Muhammad had lots of things that wasn't right. Only Jesus is the one person who you can't nail him for anything he did wrong. And it has to be Jesus. It has to be. Let's say you're like, oh, I believe in reincarnation. What happens if you have to keep getting reincarnated and you come in now, you know what your life's been, so it ain't going to get better for you the next go-round. Isn't that true? Those of you who believe in that, so someone, I had a, someone just recently said, I believe in reincarnation. I'm like, what are you going to come back as? <laughs> kind of sat back on their heels. I'm like, has it really been going that good? Like, you think you're going to get some wings after it? Are you going to be like a mosquito? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you get a little blood and then you get squashed. Maybe the last thing you'll ever hear is, <laughs> I'm horrible. You got to pray for me. God's not finished with me yet. But listen, what happens if you have to keep, you know, I'm like, oh, so you believe in reincarnation. What happens if you actually attain to the eternal life you want because you believe in Jesus? You want to come back as a rodent, a bug? Maybe if you're lucky, you come back as a, a mole? I mean, like, like, where does it go from here? See, if you study everything, you realize that Jesus is the only one who said it all hinges right on me. It all hinges here. And as has been said many times for many decades, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was the Lord of glory. That's all you got with Jesus. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's God's, he's God's anointed. He's the Lord. Because if you read what he says, he's either a, a habitual liar, he's either totally out of his mind, or he is who he said he was. So you need to train before the race. And we get to this thing, we get to death, and then the preacher ends this where he began the book. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. He's just like, man, death and decay bring the preacher back to his frustration. This is why life is nasty. Because life's a beach and then you die, as the old saying went. Forget, hey, listen, life's a beach, you know, we hope, we wish. Remember my growing up, my aunts used to always say that. Life's a beach and then you die. And the reason that's saying, yes, maybe you don't like the language because this is church or the implication of the language, but can we be honest? That's kind of the way life really feels sometimes, doesn't it? And God is not scared of saying that's how it feels. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. It's saying, look, sometimes life stinks. Sometimes it makes no sense. It's absurd. Everything does not go right. It's not okay. That's where he ends. But now notice as we move into the postscript, verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright. Words of truth. I love this. Brothers and sisters, we need to follow the map of wisdom. Follow the map of wisdom. I want to show you this really quickly. Because in these two verses, you actually have the map towards true wisdom. Notice, it says first, 
The preacher was wise. He taught the people knowledge. So what do you, this postscript saying, the person who wrote this was wise and he taught the people knowledge. So this preacher of Ecclesiastes ends up in a long line with people like Abraham, like people like Moses, people like Ezra and David, many an Israelite prophet taught the people knowledge and wisdom. But notice first, before he spoke in verse 9, notice what he did. He pondered, he sought out, and he set in order. So the path of wisdom begins first with pondering. We need to do a careful evaluation of things. We need to think about things. I think one of the biggest problems we have in 21st century America is that we have so much information that we're better at regurgitating information than pondering it, thinking about it. It's so easy. You hear something, you throw it out there. You read a book and you, that's your new thing. You have to let things sit for a while. We need to evaluate. We need to soak in things. That's the first step in wisdom. You need to ponder. Notice, second, you need to seek it out. He pondered. He sought out. That means carefully going to get it. This is a big problem. Because we live in an immediate culture, nobody actually wants to do anything. It's like if, like, I want to grow spiritually, but I actually don't want to read my Bible. So I'm just going to grow by osmosis. You know what happens? You don't grow. You actually have to do something. And so not only should you ponder and evaluate things, but you also need to be thorough and diligent in what you're pondering. You need to go out and get it. You need to go work for it. And then not only that, and he set in order many proverbs. I like this. He arranged it as well. So not only is there pondering and not only is there a diligent seeking, but then there's, I am going to order this together. I'm going to put the pieces together so that I understand what it is. Now notice, this is all before he says anything. So before we start speaking, I remember we talked about it in the last number of weeks that all wisdom literature begins to speak about what we say because people can understand your wisdom based on what you say. Your, the content of your words says, are you wise or not? So before you speak, you want to ponder, you want to seek after, and you want to set in order, and then notice his words. Because he did those things in verse 10, he sought to find acceptable words, which also can be translated delightful words, upright words, and words of truth. So if you are willing to ponder and seek out and set in order, then your words will be delightful. Now think about that word delightful. It's an interesting, it's a very fascinating word because when you think about delightful, it has the idea of like, oh, that makes me happy, right? Because wisdom does produce happiness, doesn't it? Because you live in accordance with God's truth. So delightful, but some people's words make you happy, but they're actually not wisdom, right? I watch this with my kids. They're, you know, it's, it's funny, kids. We're all kind of like it. Like, they'll be in a bad mood, and they start talking potty talk, and everyone starts giggling. Okay, only my kids do that. You pray for me, us. <laughs> this is an amazing thing. It's like, you know, someone's in a bad mood, and someone's like, poopy, and all of a sudden, <laughs> And there ain't no wisdom in that, right? It's like, it's just nasty, right? But that's what they do, because they're kids. And you know what? 
Some of us have never grown up, have we? Because the things that are delightful to us aren't much more profound than just potty talk, just more mature or, or should be oh, an older version of potty talk. Delightful words have a penetrating effect because words of wisdom are truly joyful and joyous. But notice, not only are they delightful, they're not only pleasing, but they're also upright words. And upright it means something that has some power to it when something is upright. It's a weightiness. And what's interesting is delightful words without them being upright have a tendency to be frivolous. And upright words without any delightfulness have a tendency to be crusty and boring. So it's almost like a balanced scale here where because he's sought and because he's been diligent to bring together and he's pondered and he set it in order. Now his words are delightful and they're also upright. They're beautiful as well as truthful. And that's why it says words of truth. You realize that there are things that are true, right, in the world. I have to say this. You know, we, we live in a day and age where, you know, the overriding way people think is kind of like Pontius Pilate. In the Gospels where he said to Jesus, what is truth? We live in a day and age of situational truth. Well, it's my truth and your truth. No, it's either the truth or it isn't. I think it was Ravi Zacharias who said, everyone has the right to their own opinion, but nowhere does it say that everyone's opinion is right. And then, of course, everyone gets mad. because, like, well, you're saying that your opinion is right. But you got to realize anybody who holds an opinion thinks their opinion is right. That's why they hold it. So everybody has an opinion and, and everybody has a truth claim. It's just a matter, can you put your truth claim in something that doesn't sound like truth, even though that's what it is? And that's the world we live in. I have a thing, I, I enjoy politics. Not because I actually enjoy politicians or the way politics works. I just think it's a fun game to watch. It's almost better than playing chess because it's people. And I remember watching one politician and he was like, I don't want this to be negative. And then he would, so he he began everything. I don't want this to be negative. And then he'd say something negative, but because he encased it that he wasn't being negative. I was like, oh, he's not negative. (laughs) Because that's part of the game that people play, right? I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, this book is truth. This book. And you need to get in this book. Now, I'm here to tell you something like, oh, I don't believe it's truth. Oh, listen. Well, instead of just saying that, you should actually test the book out. Tell me where it's wrong. And I, I do that knowing what's going to happen. Because this is someone who did the same thing to me. To like, it's, like, this is true. How do you know? How do you know it's not? I just know it's not. Prove it. Darn. Because then you know what I did? I'm like, okay, I'm going to prove it. And what happened? I met Jesus. I got saved. And and I'm not like the only guy who tried to do that. So if you don't believe that it's truth, then prove it. You're the one saying it's not true, then prove it. Read it. Jesus is real. People look to find meaning in all sorts of things, but there's really only one lens through which to view our existence. That's in light of the Creator, 
In Ecclesiastes, we received a lot of messages about the difficulties of life, and as Pastor Daniel worked through this last chapter of this book, he reflected on where we find meaning in this life and encouraged us to remember that we will stand before our Father. Thanks for listening to us on Freedom Radio Network. I wanted to wish you a very happy holidays and a very Merry Christmas. I really appreciate that you are part of the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. I always like to say that we're traveling the path together. And as 2015 comes to a close, we especially remember that Jesus is real. He really lived, he really died, and he really rose again, that you and I may partner with God to transform our community and our world. So God bless you. As people search for something to fill their spiritual void, there are many places to look. But as we'll hear next time, Jesus is the only one who can fulfill that longing. He's unlike any other. Ecclesiastes is the book that shows us that God understands that life isn't always neat and pretty, but that He can give us truth and wisdom so that we can navigate the mess. He puts the pieces together and brings us through it. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes next time. Until then, may God bless.